can for just a moment of time to kind of build this just a little bit. And anytime, I, I wanna, anytime that I allude to something that may be a cultural trend, I pray that you don't you know, perceive that as that I'm a very um, critical person. You know, I don't want to be a critical person. The only person I want to really have critical judgment over is myself. Right? I want to judge myself lest I be judged. But at the same time, there oftentimes is an awareness that you draw attention to. And I'm just going to be honest, contemporary, using that. And to be honest, many times there's a misapplication, a, a, a mishandling. Paul said we are not those that mishandled the Scriptures. It's easy to mishandle. Let me, let me show you. Because I believe that your own personal growth and maturity of faith is dependent upon your familiarity with and your understanding of the Word of God. I do believe that. How many believe that God designed us to grow and mature, right? To grow and mature in faith, that we should never remain the same. We should always be in a process of being changed inwardly by the power of the Holy Spirit, and it should be being manifested in our life on a daily basis, right? This growth and this maturation of our faith. Here's something that I noticed that the culture tends to do, the church culture. We tend to take scriptures out of their context and we make them all about our personal gain. We'll just reach into the heart of a passage that may be saying something entirely different. We'll just snatch it. That was the word I used last week. That's called my hillbilly lingo language. And so we'll just kind of snatch it right out and then we'll try to make it applicable to us in our lives. And maybe there is a portion, maybe there is a revelation, maybe there is something, but if you don't uh, put it in its proper context, you lose the greatest value and the depth of the passage. Let me give you an example. Many of you can probably quote this by heart, Jeremiah 29 and 11. You see that many times on many of the uh, televangelists, many of their, of, their, of their backdrops, which simply says, I know the plans that I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans to prosper you. Plans to, to, that are good, and I'm just kind of paraphrasing because I can't just quote it right off the top of my head. Plans to bring you to an expected end. In essence, it's saying, I've got good things in store for you. But you know what? When you read that passage of Scripture, and even though I know there's a portion of that that's applicable to our lives, you're robbing it of the true value when you don't keep it in its context. Because the verse before it, God is speaking to Israel in their Babylonian captivity. And they're going to be 70 years slaves. They're going to feel the chains of slavery. They're going to be integrated into a whole other society. But God is saying that if you'll stay focused on me and you'll adhere to who I am, I'll bring you out of captivity because I know the plans that I have for your life, he's saying to Israel. I'm going to take you out of captivity and I'm going to bring you back to the land that I promised you long ago. Right? And how many of you know that there's a difference when you see it in that light than when you're just driving down the, word, uh, down the road and you think it's all about you. It's not all about you. It's all about him and his grace, his goodness, his kindness, and his mercy. That should be the heart of our understanding of the scriptures. I still believe that your greatest personal maturity and growth occurs when you look into the perfect law of liberty. Alyssa said it a moment ago that when you just take the word of God, how blessed we are to have our own personal copies of the Word of God. There are still uh, nations of this world where, where, where its citizens do not have accessibility to their own personal copy of the Word of God. And you and I have the privileged opportunity to read it and meditate upon it. 
And I believe that when we just simply look into it, that supernatural work of God revealing the character and the person of Christ is released in our life. Paul said it this way, as in a glass, as in a glass, we behold the glory of the Lord. It's not my image I'm in search of when I look into this glass. It's his image. And I want to see his image. And when I see his image, I then be, I be changed, I become changed into that image. I don't want just a, an improved Lee Brown. I want the person of Christ, right? I'm a Christian. I follow Christ, a follower of Christ. I want to be changed into the image of the Lord. And I've noticed this in my studies, and this may not be something that you... But so what I'm going to do with you here today is I'm going to say, you know what, I'm going to get out of all that, that, that elementary application of the gospel that we see in so many contemporary, even Pentecostal churches. And I'm just going to say, listen, if we run ahead of you, you know what, we're not slowing down for you. You're going to have to run faster and catch up. Do y'all feel that here today? Listen, I'm not going to go all the way back and just and live my life in, in, in shallowness because you won't go to the Word of God and pray and ask God to give you understanding. And so that every time you come to church, you make it about yourself rather than Him and someone else and ministering to someone else. I'm not going to run back there. I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to run out ahead and say, come on, let's go, let's follow Him. He wants to take us to new heights in the Lord. Well, in doing so, I want to talk about a consistent argument that I've seen in the Word of God. And it's been kind of brought to our attention as we've been studying the book of Acts. And it's just something we just got to draw our attention to for just a moment. And that is one of the most consistent themes or subjects throughout the epistles is Paul's rebuttal. Listen to this. His rebuttal to those who believe. No one likes to be reproved or rebuked or have a rebuttal actually in Scripture and pen. What is this rebuttal? To those who believe, yes, those who believe in Christ as the Messiah, but yet still adhere to Judaism. Dr. Bradley, is that a common theme that we can say we can find that in every one of the Apostle Paul's epistles where it's being addressed by his pen, either directly or indirectly speaking to perhaps another person like Titus or Timothy to address it in their particular congregation. Because listen to this, as you and I discovered when we studied on Wednesday nights in the book of Acts, Paul's greatest opponents was not the Romans. We often think about the Romans opposing Christ, the, the, opposing Christianity. Yes, they nailed him to the tree. They nailed him to the tree because the Jews handed them over to the Romans, handed him over to the Romans. And so his first opponents were simply those, or Paul's greatest opponents were first of all those Jews who did not believe in Jesus as the Messiah. We see that in his missionary journey. We see that group of men uh, persecuting Paul. He might leave one city and go to the next, but he might escape persecution for just a little while, but it's going to get created in the next city. And many times people that, that, that opposed him in the other city followed him to the other city and persecuted him there, Jews that did not believe. But what you see, secondly, as, they, as to those who oppose the gospel of Christ, the mystery of the kingdom that Paul is preaching about, there's a growing dissension that was formed within the church, not outside the church, but within the church, to the Jews who did believe in Jesus. Jews who did believe in Jesus, and those Jews kept the law, and now they're expecting the Gentile believers to do the same. So let me, the reason why I'm pointing this out to you, because as you are wanting to grow in your knowledge of God and you begin to study the epistles, 
the, Paul's letters to the church, I want you to know that's an argument that you're going to see kind of back and forth a little bit. Paul's addressing it, and he's writing in response to it. And you need to understand the context of it, because if you don't, then you're going to scratch your head and not really understand the application that's being made. Let me give you an example of it. Acts chapter 15, verse number 1. It says here, this is when Paul's at Jerusalem. It says, certain men which came down from Judea taught. This is not Jerusalem as of yet, but they came down from Judea taught the brethren, and they said, except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. Here it says they are certain men. But what does it mean, just certain men? The fifth verse adds clarity when they get to Jerusalem. So Paul goes from the church at Antioch to Jerusalem with other leaders from the Antioch church to go to Jerusalem to debate this issue with the elders and the apostles. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees, which what? Notice this, which believed. When you think of the Pharisees, you often think of those that oppose Christ. But by this time, the, many of the Pharisees have believed. They believe that Jesus is the promised Messiah. But what they still do is they still believe that it is necessary not only for themselves to circumcise themselves and, the, and to keep the law of Moses, but they also believed that the Gentiles, that's who he's referring to here, Luke, as he writes in the book of Acts, that the Gentiles also must be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. And that, that created what's known as the Jerusalem Council. And the apostles and elders discussed and debated that issue. And they arrived at the conclusion that the Gentiles would not be required to keep the, the law of Moses. Nor would they be required to circumcise their sons. But there was a, just a few things that they mentioned in the book of Acts that they should do. Such as uh, don't eat things that were strangled. Or eat things that were offered to idols. Keep yourself from fornication. And they kind of concluded a little epistle and said if you can do that you're doing pretty good. Kind of a paraphrased way. And so, but the reality is, is that quick letter that they wrote in response to that growing dissension did not resolve that dissension. But there is an obvious unspoken, unspoken precept that is hidden in that text if you were to read it later on your own. The obvious unspoken precept is, is though the church was not expecting the Gentile believer in Christ to adhere to Judaism and its expectations of fulfilling the law, but that the Jew who believed, remember Christianity came through the Jewish community, came to the Jewish community, and came through the Jewish community, and the unspoken, listen, what I'm saying, stay with me, there's something powerful we're going to connect this to in a moment, is that Paul, the unspoken precept is though they addressed the Gentiles who believed, but they didn't say anything about the Jew because they had an expectation that if you were a Jew and you believed in Jesus, you would still keep the law. That means that you would still go through all the sacrifices. That means that you would still participate in every uh, you know, system within the temple itself. And later, James, and if we were to jump ahead, we won't for the sake of time. Y'all stay with me. I've got something good right here in the middle of this going to unlock right in front of our eyes in just a moment. But in Acts 21, when Paul goes back to Jerusalem, Prior to being brought into captivity, he met with James, the apostle, who addressed the council that day many years earlier. And James, in this passage in Acts 21, is addressing a rumor that Paul is teaching that the Jewish Christians are not to circumcise their children nor keep the law. And James alludes, you read this on your own, James, in Acts 21, James says, look, Paul, look around. There are thousands of Jews who believe in Jesus. But they're all zealous for the law. And we've heard that you're teaching 
everywhere that the Jews aren't to circumcise their children and keep the law and the requirements of the fathers. And so he talks Paul into taking a vow, a vow that he would shave his head and then on the seventh day he would offer a sacrifice and he would show all the Jews that were in Jerusalem that were Christian that Paul too kept the law of Moses. And so Paul agreed to enter into that vow. Now by the either the the grace of God or the providential hand of God, Paul was prevented from actually offering a sacrifice. But here's my question. Did Paul actually see the necessity in keeping the requirements of the law, even as a Jew, or was this just his evangelism strategy? What am I making my point by this? Paul said this in the book of 1 Corinthians. He said, I became all things to all men that by any means I might win some. Paul said, I became a Jew if I had to. He is a Jew. But that means that there is a disconnect in Paul's heart. Because Paul proved biblically in Romans, the second chapter, that you're not a Jew outwardly. A true Jew is a true Jew inwardly. Circumcision is not of the flesh, but it's of the heart. So Paul is saying, you know, I wanted everybody to see on the outside. If I needed to, I'd become a Jew. You know why? So he could win the Jew. He said, now to the Gentile, I'd become as a Gentile, not without the law to Christ. He said, but if necessary, I would do whatever because he had such a passion to gain those who did not believe. But my question is, did doctrinally, deep in the heart of the Apostle Paul, did he really believe that it was necessary for even a Jew to keep the law of Moses, to continue in the sacrifice? It's not a question you can see answered just directly in Scripture because it's not posed directly. But I personally would conclude in my observation, in my own personal study of his writings, I do not believe that he did. I can say this. I do not believe that Paul believed that it was necessary for a Jew to keep the law of Moses. Because, and this is, we could argue that out privately at a later date and time. But this is my point of reference that I want to take you into this just a little bit. Because it's going to open your understanding up. Once you get this inside you, all of a sudden things are going to make sense that didn't make sense previously. See, because for the Jewish Christian to continually keep the law and the Gentile Christian to not keep the law would continue to uphold the separation between the Jewish Christian and the Gentile Christian which is addressed on many occasions throughout the New Testament. And I want to show you that here today in the book of Ephesians. Your Bible is still open there. Turn back to the second chapter, to the 11th verse. And let's look at this for just a moment. And I know you aren't shouting me down today, but that's okay. It's still a good word. It's something you need to hear. Because if you don't understand this... Every time that you go to the book of Romans or every time you're in Galatians, you're going to be scratching your head. And then you're going to be flipping over to the Psalms or something just to sing a little song because you've not put yourself in place to gain the understanding of the mystery that Paul's writing about. I want to be able to have conversation with Paul. If he were to walk in this room today and sit down with the most learned men of all time, I would want to be able to sit down with him and be able to communicate with him and talk to him biblically, having at least some measure of understanding of the Word of God. Listen, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're calling Malachi Malichi and Job Job, then you don't know the Word of God. 
you got to stretch yourself and challenge yourself. Ephesians, the second chapter, the 11th verse. He said, remember that you, and I, hate, I know that Paul hated to reference this, but he, did, he does. You were once Gentiles in the flesh. You were one time Gentiles in the flesh. He said, you were called uncircumcision by that which is circumcision. That's called circumcision made by the flesh, made by the hand. At that time, when you were a Gentile in the flesh, you know what you were? You were without Christ. Let me just read it there with you. You were an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You know who you were before God found you? Don't say you found the Lord. He found you. He wasn't lost. You were. You weren't looking for him when you were drinking and carousing and adulterating. Come on, somebody. But he was looking for you the whole time. He was searching for you in the masses of humanity. He marked you when he called you, and he went to find you. And when he found you, look, it's what you were. You were a stranger. When you were in sin, you were a stranger from the covenant of promise. You had no hope, and you were without God in this world. That's, that's the plight of the individual who does not believe in Jesus. That's the plight of every person who's not put their faith in Christ. 13th verse, let's go farther. He said, but now in Christ Jesus, but now something has changed. Because you have faith in God through Christ, you were sometimes far off, but now you're brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now you have access to this God that we're talking about, to the God of Israel, 14th verse. You know what he is? He's our peace, and he made both one. Look at this. He made one, and he broke down the middle wall of partition between us. When Paul writes that, he's referencing the temple in Jerusalem where there was a wall of separation that separated the Jewish court from the Gentile court. And Paul is alluding to it and saying, through his flesh... Through his flesh on the cross, look what he did. He took away the enmity. Note what he's calling the enmity. The law of commandments contained in ordinances. He's taking it away through what? Through his flesh. Through his death on the cross. His substitutionary death on the cross. And it took away the thing that condemned you. And did not give you access to a holy God. But now, he said, you are afar off. You're brought nigh by the blood of Jesus. And he's made of what? One new man. One new man, not two groups of believers, not Jewish believers and Gentile believers, but all those that have faith in God through Christ Jesus. Look at that, man. I'm about to shout in here. The 16th verse, let's go farther just a little bit. That he might reconcile both unto God in one body. By what? By the cross. He slew the enmity thereby. 17th verse, let's just read it on down. And he came and he preached peace to who? All you who were afar off. Who's that? The Gentiles. The Gentiles needed to hear the gospel. The Gentiles still need to hear the gospel. People in Los Angeles across the street from the Dream Center need to hear the gospel. But guess who else needs to hear the gospel? People right here in Heber Springs, people that are living in the Bible Belt, people that have been around Christianity all their life but have never had a true representation of the love of God in Christ Jesus. They are far off and they need to hear the gospel. 18th verse. And through who? Through Christ, both Jew and Gentile that's made one body now, we have access by what? By one spirit unto the Father. And therefore, here's who we are today. This may not move you, but see, I've studied it long enough. It moves me. I said I was going to run last week, and I didn't do it. But I tell you what, Joe, I got to run off some turkey in here. Because you know why? You and I were strangers and foreigners, but not any longer. 
You know what we are? We are fellow citizens with the saints, and we are of the household of God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. The God of Abraham is my God. The God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, the one that met the angel and had his name changed from Jacob, a deceiver, to Israel, a prince, changed my name as well. And now I'm a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And I'm built upon what? Foundation. The apostles and prophets. And you know who's the cornerstone holding the whole building up? It's Jesus who is the Christ. Glory to God. 21st verse. In whom the whole building is fitly framed together and we're growing up into a holy temple in the Lord. Glory to God. Come on, somebody. That'll make you want to shout right there when you have the revelation. And for the sake of time, I got to just move a little bit faster and omit some things and I hate to do so because it's too rich to do so. But let me say this. Paul described the law. I'm going to not go to Galatians. I'm only going to paraphrase it a little bit. He described it as enmity. In the 15th verse. And you know what? That was difficult for a Jew to write those words because Paul saw the value of the law. Without the law, there would have been no distinction in a life that would keep you out of the vices of sin. But Paul would write to Timothy and say, the law is good if you use it lawfully. But its weakness was this. Here's the weakness of the law. And here's a Jew who loves the law, who would kiss the Torah if it was put in his hands, who loved it and knows that God gave it to Moses on Mount Sinai, but he knew that it was insufficient. It had value. What was the value? Not to produce righteousness because it was insufficient and incapable of producing righteousness in the heart of an individual. But he alluded in Galatians and he called it our schoolmaster. He said it's our schoolmaster because it's going to point us to who? It's going to point us to Jesus. Oh, that's good right there. Come on. And you've got to have a revelation of the Holy Spirit then to see the purpose of the law. And when you see the purpose of the law, you see that the law was but a shadow. It was just a shadow, but it was not the real thing. It was a shadow of that which is to come. And so listen, when God opens your understanding, you study the law and you read its imagery because it points you to Jesus. I don't know about you, when I read the word of God, I said, I don't want to see me. I want to see him. If all I see is me, my eyes are going to be affixed on my insufficiencies and my weaknesses. But if I see him, then the grace that abides within him emits into my life, and then I'm changed from the inside. Come on, from the inside out. Even so, how? How? Describe how? By the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit working on the inside of me begins to change me. He begins to conform me to the image of Jesus. I don't have to walk around saying, I will not sin, I will not sin, I will not sin, I will not sin. No, I just live every day to the glory of God because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who died and gave himself for me. Sin does not have dominion over me because I'm not under the law, I'm under grace and the power of the Holy Spirit dwells on the inside of me glory to God that's the heart of the epistle so we read the law so think about this the bullock I'm closing in just a moment the bullock the y'all got too much turkey you know it affects you a little bit the bullock the ram the lamb 
the turtle dove, the pigeon, the meal offering, the meat offering, the grain offering, the oil, the wine, the priest, the Levite, the offerer, the altar, the laver, the door, the table of shoe bread, the candlestick, the golden altar, the veil, the ark, the cherubims, the mercy seat, the coverings, the tapestry, the gold, the basins, the shovels, the feast, the sacrifice, the limited access to God. It all points us to the person of Jesus Christ. To him be God, to be the glory, be the glory to Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. So understanding, as we get ready to close, and I am meaning that, the mystery of Christ. If you understand the mystery of Christ, it is to recognize the sufficiency of his sacrifice. And to make you as the believer, listen to this, justified in his sight. Do you understand that? Justified. It's to, what's the understanding the mystery of Christ do in your life? It means that you're declared righteous by Christ. Righteousness is a declaration. He declared you righteous. Because you had what? Because you adhered to a standard? No, because you believed in Christ. Listen, by, by, by reason of your faith in God through Christ, you now have access to God's presence. And you have the mediation of the high priest, the eternal high priest. I love that. That's why the, the, the imagery of Hebrews 3, let us come boldly into the throne room of grace. Right? We find grace to help in the time of need. It says he is able to save to the uttermost those that come unto God by him, by Jesus Christ. And I tell you what, because you put your faith in Christ, you know what you are? You're a new creation. I tell you, I've been able to visit with people that are over. I don't believe in the world's way of helping people overcome addictions. I don't believe in the phraseology that says that you're once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, once an addict, always an addict. I tell you, I understand the reasoning behind that. It's carnal reasoning, but Christ has declared something totally different about your life. Christ has declared you to be justified, righteous, a new creation, old things have passed away. You're not an addict any longer, right? That old man died with Jesus, was buried. Is that right? And then you came out a new man. When he came up out of the grave, he brought you with him. That's how you should live your life. That's what happens when you study the epistles. That's the revelation that you get. God reveals this to you. So I'm as I close, I connect to last week's message. Does anybody remember last week's message? I preached about the sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13 and 15. By him, therefore, let us offer to God the sacrifice of praise, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. How continually. And the point that I made real quickly is I was not concluding that we are not to praise him through pain. That when you praise God through pain, that's not sacrifice. That's not the point that I was intending to make because I do believe in praising through pain. I believe that it is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life that when you've suffered loss, been persecuted, been chastised and challenged and beaten or divorced or in sickness or lost your job and somehow you come into a sanctuary and you're still able to lift your hands up. I believe in that sacrifice of praise. But that, to go back to the original point of the sermon, but we extract it out of its context when we misapply it, when we use it that way, because the context was this. The context was simply Jesus 
provided the only sacrifice that would fully atone for our sins on the cross. The goat, the bullock, the pigeon, the turtle dove, nothing could atone for sin but his blood. And now that God has accepted that sacrifice, the only sacrifice I offer is the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of my lips giving thanks to his name. Christ's sacrifice is complete. For who? For the Jew and for the Gentile. Come on. And so the person that fully understands He's accepted by God through Christ. Here's Paul's prayer. He said, God, I pray that when they read, Jew or Gentile, but when they read, they will somehow understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Because when they understand, I tell you what, they won't allow themselves to be shackled down again. You won't allow religion to shackle you. You won't allow addictions to shackle you. You won't allow the weaknesses of your flesh to shackle you. Jesus has set you free, right? Uh, You came to him. You received him. He gave you the power of the Holy Spirit. And now you're walking in liberty every day of your life. And that's bound to, listen to this, listen, listen. That's bound to an understanding of the knowledge of God through Christ that was contained in the pen of the Apostle Paul. And you, as a believer, to gain the fullness, you have to petition God for it. It doesn't arbitrarily just happen. You can sit in the church for 40 years and be just as ignorant. Isn't that right, Dr. Bradsville? Just as ignorant as you were when you first came in. You gotta ask God for these things. You gotta ask Him, you gotta seek Him. Isn't that what he said in Solomon's writing? He said, you want to grow, petition God. Would y'all stand up with me today? I don't have to have a musician. My heart is set.